Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. Whilst the expectations placed on marketing departments continue to expand and evolve, marketing leaders are under tremendous scrutiny to prove the value of their organization's products and services to their customers. Today, we're joined by Stacey Danheiser and Dr. Simon Kelly, principals of Shape Marketing Group and co-authors of the books Valueology and Standout Marketing. They're here today to share how marketing leaders can help their organizations stand out by developing key marketing competencies in their teams. Hi, both, and thank you very much for joining us here today. Oh, hi, Megan. Thank you very much for inviting us. We're really pleased to be here. Hi, Megan. Yes, looking forward to the podcast today. To begin with, please could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Simon, uh, let's begin with you. I'm Dr. Simon Kelly. I call myself a pracademic now, which reflects the fact that uh, I had a long commercial career, mainly running marketing in in big telecoms and IT organisations. I help organisations with Stacey at Shake Marketing to develop more powerful value propositions and grow. And I also, uh, I'm a lecturer at the University of York and I've lectured at uh, several other universities in the UK and in the US. And I'm the co-author of this book that we're going to talk about today, Standout Marketing and Valueology. Thanks very much, Simon. And um, Stacey, how about you? Could you, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your current role? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks, Megan, for having us here today. Simon and I always love the opportunity to talk about marketing leadership. I'm Stacey Danheiser, based in the United States. I'm the founder of Shake Marketing Group, which, as Simon mentioned, is a B2B marketing consultancy where we help organizations with customer research, value propositions, and marketing strategy. I'm also the co-author of two marketing books, along with Simon. And before starting Shake, I have a a long history of working in uh, Fortune 500 companies across various uh, corporate marketing leadership roles. Great. Thanks very much, Stacey. Now, you both recently released your new book, Standout Marketing. Could you tell us a little bit more about this and the research you conducted around it? Yes. Well, Standout Marketing was born from some initial research that we started to conduct across three different industries. We looked at the telecom, data center, and UK university industries to understand how they're communicating to their potential customers and clients. And what we found was that there's really everybody saying the same thing. And so we started to dig into why that was happening. And part of the research that that we conducted to, to learn about that was dozens of one-on-one interviews with marketing sales and business leaders across the UK and the US. Uh, We led a global survey with over 50 respondents, the case studies, as I mentioned. And then we also have our own firsthand corporate experience and working with over two dozen clients. Thank you. Thanks for setting the scene. Now, in your book, you mentioned the phrase copycat marketing and also the fact that we are swimming in a sea of sameness. Please, could you explain to our listeners what this is and what it means for marketing leaders? Yes. So, um, as I mentioned, this is based on the research that we did into the three industries. And we did a scrape of websites and Twitter feeds of the top 30 companies in each of those industries. We found that, you know, most companies there were using the exact same words, the same YS story, 
the same benefit statements. Uh, we saw an overuse of generic business terms like the word services, solutions, business, and a lot of phrases that start with we and our instead of being about the customer. We also found that B2B companies rarely use proof points that are meaningful to the customer. So for example, there's a lot of promises to help businesses grow or transform their business. But when you ask how, the answer is always something like buy my product or service. So these are really lofty and empty claims as what they're saying. And the bridge from here, how do you get a customer from here and where they currently are to where they really want to be is very weak. So when every company sounds the same, customers end up really confused about what makes each one different. And so we call this swimming in the sea of sameness. That's really interesting. How do you think leaders can identify if their organization is one of those that's stuck in the sea of sameness? Yeah, so we have various exercises and assessments in our book, first of all, but there's a few things that I would encourage people to look at. And that would be, you know, number one, do, do you really understand your customers' business problems and, and the problems that your organization solves? Are you presenting value in a way that resonates with the customer? Does your why us story involve the customer or is it all about you, your number of years of experience, your products, and your superior customer service? And then one that's, that I found um, a lot of marketers are doing is constantly looking at their competitors and copying, frankly, the websites and social media content and feeds of their top competitors. So, you know, one thing to look at here would be, are, is your website structured the same? Is the content you're producing the same? Are the benefits that you're promising the same? And even looking at color palettes, logos, and the way that information is presented can be all incredibly confusing if it looks exactly the same as, as your competitors. Thanks, that's a great explanation. Turning to you, Simon, the skills and competencies of marketing teams will help businesses emerge from the sea of sameness and become more customer-centric. So what exactly are these key competencies that organizations need to begin developing in their employees? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, before I, I dive into that, I think it's probably important to say what we see as a competence here. A competency we think is the combination of the knowledge, the skills, and the behaviors added together to be successful in your role. Now, for example, if you look at chapter four in the book, which is about what are the key roles for marketing and sales, when we interviewed leaders across the world about this, lots of people said, and maybe not surprisingly, that the most important role for marketing is brand management. So that's a key job to be done by marketing, differentiating the brand in a meaningful way to customers, as Stacey said. What do you need to know to be able to do that effectively? What do you need to be good at? And how do you need to behave to develop and mobilize the brand within your company and crucially in the market? So if you are a brand manager, adding that together gives you, a, if you like, an equation for what the competencies are that you need. Now, at the top level for marketing and salespeople, five competencies came out of our research and taken together the initials spell the word value. So V is for visionary, which is about foreseeing potential changes in a broader business environment. A is for activator. That's about getting buy into initiatives to help drive growth in the business. L is crucially for learner, which is to learn from changes in the environment, changes in what your customers value, changes in what sets you apart from competitors. 
And then U is for usefulness, which is differentiating in a way that's relevant, practical, and resonates with customers. And finally, E is for evaluator. This is about evaluating not just the ongoing success of marketing and sales campaigns, but at the front end, evaluating potential opportunities to decide whether your organization should pursue these opportunities or not. I'd like to look firstly at the visionary element, which, as you mentioned, is about looking ahead at the broader environment to develop new ways of doing business. How important is it for marketing leaders to develop a vision for change in order to continually adapt to external influences? Well, it's extremely important. I mean, at any one time, there are lots and lots of things going on happening now, coming up on the near horizon, or that you could foresee in the far distance. Let's just take a look at what's happened recently. I mean, in the US, there's a new president who on his first day brought America back into the Paris Global Climate Agreement. Reflecting on that, that could be sort of a move towards a much more unified global trading environment rather than the one that existed before. In Europe, there's Brexit with the UK withdrawing from the European Union. And of course, this year, we've seen the dramatic effects of COVID sweeping the world, which has affected us all in many ways. Changing shopping habits, meaning that we're always on Zoom meetings, putting a focus on mental awareness because of the effects it has on people, and dramatically affecting organisational performance in different ways. Now, you think if you were the CEO of Pfizer now, versus being the CEO of British Airways, you're in an entirely different position. So when we think of what's happening on the technology front, it's just eye-watering. I mean, it's difficult to believe that the first iPhone was only launched in 2007. And the last time I looked, there were 3.5 billion globally. And what's happening or coming up on the horizon, we've seen 3D printing, we've got robotics, we've got... Uh, AI, and, 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 and. And all of these things have impacted customer behavior and competitor behavior. So, for example, we've seen the rise of Airbnb and Uber and Lyft, which are organizations that don't own any assets, but have developed offerings by effective use of these new technologies. So taken together, you know, you've got to understand how will this impact your customer how will your own company be affected by these things and how will it affect your industry? You know, in the words of Wayne Gretzky, who was that famous uh, Canadian ice hockey player, you need to be able to do this in order to skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been, to try to predict what's going to happen into the future and then to portray that to your customer. Now, people who, who poo-poo the use of that particular analogy, the Wayne Gretzky saying, say, oh, well, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of talent because Wayne Gretzky was the greatest ice hockey player ever to walk the planet. But I think that's why it's relevant in what we're talking about in this book. You know, you have to have a level of competence that you need to be able to develop to, in order to be an effective visionary. I think that's a great analogy. Thank you. Probably the first time that Wayne Gretzky has been referenced on our podcast. Yeah. Now, how would you recommend marketing leaders encourage idea sharing from their teams in order to build a really collaborative vision of the future? Yeah, OK. I, th I think, you know, ideas are great. Informed ideas are even better. And so I think there's a point that needs to be made before idea sharing takes place. The first one will be read and take reference points widely. So 
don't just sort of start with an inside-out viewpoint, which is what really shackles lots of companies. They're always having meetings which start by their own particular perspective. You know, look from outside in, think about the customer's world, take reference points from industry experts and industry commentators, look at other disciplines, other industries, get people going on to TED Talks or listening to Hayes podcasts. Don't be myopic. I mean, the, the very heart of marketing is that famous, famous uh, article by, by Ted Levitt, Marketing Myopia, which sort of bemoans the decline of the rail industry of the US because they didn't foresee, you know, the rise of uh, short-haul flights because they're focused on their own industry. So don't be myopic. Look more widely than your usual reference points. And then at that point, draw people into what the Americans call brown bag sessions, which are effectively bring your own lunch, sit around a table and encourage people to bring new things in. But don't let those things be about, you know, let's have a meeting about how to do effective copywriting. You can, you can do that uh, in a different way. Have them to, uh, about these new perspectives. And then you could work with people like us to do things like scenario planning, to think about what a potential combination of things can happen. And then having considered all that, you've, you've then got to sort of zoom in and predict, okay, after we've taken this eagle eye 2,000-foot view of what could happen, what would we place bets on what is likely to happen? Because that is, if you like, the end of the vision building that you've got to develop and take to your customer for insights. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Thank you very much. Following on from that, I'd like to talk about the second element, uh, activator, which to remind our listeners of what you said earlier, is all about being the force that successfully drives the team to growth. How can marketing leaders effectively get buy-in to initiatives and activate these visions that we just discussed? Right. Okay. If you're a marketing leader, I think, first of all, you've got to create the environment, and that's by focusing and prioritizing. So coming out, of your, if you like, of this visionary phase, and what are the things that you believe to be important to drive as change initiatives and ongoing programs in your organization? and set clear priorities, and then to lead, train, coach, and, if you like, appraise people on your team along the main sort of facets of this advocacy activator competency that we, we talk about. And the, the first one is this a thing called a balanced advocate, which is if you're a leader, you should know not only what is good for the customer, but what is good for your own company. In the book, we have a simple Venn diagram which shows, you know, an overlap between what's good for the company, what's good for the customer. And in between that is, if you like, it's a sweet spot where you can do things that are good for both you and the customer. So when you're then trying to mobilize things inside your organization or when you're trying to get a good feel for what is important to customers, you need to be able to listen empathically not just listen in order to reply to really listen to what, what concerns people and above all if, if you're leading a marketing organization then you know you have to make sure that you, your team understand that they have to be able to negotiate and, and don't get sensitive about if you take an idea forward into the business and some senior leader or, or the salespeople need to have it changed because they've got some view about how it could be more effective. You have to negotiate. And you have to be tenacious because in order to get an idea over the line, 
you've got to keep going and going and going. And if then it's approved, all the time there's another new initiative coming left field, which might be from HR or from, from IT that you're competing with. And you've got to keep driving people to remember that you, you, you're you running this important initiative. They're some of the main things I would, I would recommend. Thank you. Now, obviously, we've just discussed what marketing leaders need, but but what can marketing leaders do to to drive their teams to push for change themselves? And what do you think are the benefits of of doing that? I I think leaders themselves have to be more self-aware and reflect about, you know, what they've got in their team and and, and what type of capabilities they have to have to effectively activate and and mobilise. So get the team to consider, you know, are you a balanced advocate? Do you actually know how this company makes money? So can you therefore develop business cases which are compelling because they can move us forward in the marketplace, but they can be profitable for this company? Do you actually go in to situations with what, what we call fully baked answers where you think this is what the thing needs to look like? Or are you prepared to negotiate? And do you have the skill to negotiate? You know, do you understand what motivates the sales force? Do you understand what motivates one of your senior executives so that you can get buy-in and you can develop programs that everybody's prepared to take forward together? They're really the sort of things that need to be done and to encourage, coach, uh, advise your team and be there by the side of them to, to help drive change if need be. And if they need you to call on a senior leader in a business from another function to get something moving then you know you should do that thank you simon now stacy looking at the third competency mentioned which was learner so learning new skills or ways of doing business why is it so important for marketing leaders to encourage their team members to upskill particularly in this increasingly hybrid and remote working world of work yes well 2020 perfectly sums up the reason why being a learner is so important You know, marketers started off last year with one set of plans and strategies, and then six weeks into the year, everything changed from switching to online events, from in-person events, and all of a sudden, there was this massive need to immediately learn new technologies. Companies that had strong learners were able to quickly understand that business and customer expectations had changed, and they were able to adapt. We say that being a learner is really about having a a mindset of curiosity. So it's somebody that's open to new ideas, can be a critical thinker, and that somebody that's deliberate and self-directed rather than waiting for someone uh, to tell them what to learn. And how can marketing leaders support their teams in doing so? And what are the benefits of this? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is, is encouraging the team to take ownership of their own learning. So one thing that we were surprised when we talked to marketing leaders is that Most of the organizations said that they did have a budget for learning and development. That would be to to send the team members to seminars or workshops or trade industry events, but that people are rarely taking advantage of these. And so, you know, first and foremost, it would be to to get the team to come up with their own plan for learning and that understanding this is completely within their own skill set to do. Secondly, we outlined five key areas in our book that we think all marketers really should understand. There are specific questions that we outlined, so I'll just kind of briefly go through these. But the first is the market. How well does your does your team understand what's happening in the market? As, as Simon mentioned, kind of all the things that is required to be a visionary, somebody that can look at trends and really understand what's happening. The second is customers. 
So really, you know, what does your team understand about who the ideal customer is, what the customer's top needs and pain points are, what they're trying to gain or achieve in their business, and why specifically do they work with with your company? The third is competitors. So, you know, we mentioned that a lot of marketers are are looking at other people's websites and kind of copying and pasting what's being said there, but there's a little bit more to it than in, on the competitive landscape. You have your direct competitors and then you have the um, indirect competitors that really, you know, what are, how are people spending their time and their, and their resources? So getting a full broad picture for how your company kind of fits into that competitive landscape. The fourth area is your company and the product and services that you offer. So we found, and this is, this is a common complaint amongst the C-level the team, that marketing does not really understand the business. They don't really understand how, how their activity fits into overarching business goals. There's profitability questions, which products and services are the most profitable? What's the mission of the company? You know, why are they even in business? So all of these are really broad level questions that really need to be understood sort of at that company level. And then finally, is their specific role. So what skills are needed to be done within their specific job? What are their strengths and weaknesses? Where do they need to improve within their current job? And how can they grow and elevate their career from there? So that's kind of the five key areas. We would say that those are good sort of reflection questions to to implement within the team. And then just, you know, there's a culture piece to this as well, which is a culture of learning. And that that has to do with one, making sure that that people understand why things are being done. I mean, we find that a lot of marketers, especially, are, are executing programs, not really fully understanding the big picture. And, and maybe just taking things at a surface level. So for example, you know, one of the, the famous sayings is, you know, why are we losing business? Oh, it's all about our price because our price is too high. And so then everybody goes to immediately start fixing the pricing, but really there could be more to it about the value, understanding what customers are trying to achieve and digging deeper. Maybe the, the answer is not just the prices are too high, but that we need to explain it better to customers what they're getting for their dollars. And then one of the key pitfalls to learning that we, we frequently hear from marketers is that they just don't have time. So they're, they're too busy executing and they're not making the time to learn. So, you know, the best organizations encourage learning and, and aren't worried when people are taking time to sit and think and reflect on what they've learned. They use that as very productive time versus just the standard sort of definition of productivity and the amount of volume and output that that person is doing. And then lastly, I would say it's about encouraging the team to experiment. So what one of the leaders we spoke to called fearless experimentation, and this is encouraging people to try new things and not just have to follow the herd, you know, where we end up copying and pasting old business playbooks and that aren't really aligned with the changing customer needs. Thanks, Stacey. I think that's really helpful advice. Now, it's becoming more important than ever for organizations to be able to articulate the usefulness that they can provide to customers, which is the fourth competency you picked out. What role do marketing leaders have in this process? Does it start with the product or service offering? Yes. So first, we define usefulness really as the ability to connect the dots from what your company does to how it solves a customer problem. So this really includes everything from products to services to the sales approach, even marketing content and programs and uh, customer service. So really everything that a company is offering should be useful to their end customers. We have a little 
usefulness triangle in our book that we describe, there's really three elements to being useful. The first is about knowledge and skills. So B2B buyers want to work with sellers that really understand their business. So it starts with spending the time, again, going back to the learning component, really understanding what do customers need, what do they want, what's going to fit into their business, and how can you help them achieve their goals. The second is what we call preparation. So this is being proactive, ready, and and willing to help. This is putting yourself in the customer's shoes and, and realizing that there really is no one size fits all. This is sort of the, the element of how much time are you spending here to, to develop new things versus being reactive and waiting for somebody to come to you and ask you for something. And then the third is timing. So, you know, 90% of buyers are open to engaging with salespeople earlier in the process. So it's a matter of getting in there early. And that there's some stat that says 35 to 50% of sales goes to the vendor that responds first. So these are having systems and processes in place that that help accelerate the timing, especially if, if a customer needs something, you know, they don't want to sit around for four months waiting for you guys to come up with something. So this the timing aspect is important here. The question becomes, well, who owns this? Who owns becoming, you know, whether or not something is useful to the business? And marketing absolutely has has a key role in in understanding and presenting data back to to the business that reflects what the customer sentiment is. So, you know, every department is impacted here from from the product team coming up with product roadmaps to the sales team and how they're presenting this information. So, you know, marketing really has a hand in in driving that and making sure that there is um, discipline around implementing things that are going to be useful. Now, keeping on this theme of usefulness, how can marketing leaders make sure that their teams have their finger on the pulse of the customer in order to to appeal to their requirements? Yeah, so the first, I would say, is having a budget for some customer research. One of the things that continues to be shocking um, when, when we work with clients is that many of them do not, many of the marketing teams especially, do not have a budget to talk to customers and cannot remember the last time they did any customer research. What does that mean? That means they rely on their sales team or their customer service team or data that they're collecting about website visitors or email open rates and making decisions on that versus talking one-to-one with customers to really understand at a deeper level, what their business problems are and, and what's changed and what how they might fit into their world. And then two, it goes back to the theme that we were talking about earlier around making time to learn. And it's the same thing here. There's There has to be time spent on reading and digesting all of this information and making sense of it so that the business can, can use the information to make decisions. I mean, we are all overwhelmed with big data the challenge becomes how are people acting on it? We have no shortage of information. It's a matter of getting the teams together and talking through what does this really mean for our business? That's really interesting, um, especially about uh, your point about customer research or the lack thereof. Can you share any examples of organizations that have or are currently proving their unique value well, particularly during this uncertain time? Yes. Well, I mean, 2020 was an exciting year for for this competency in particular to to see kind of how businesses emerged. There are a ton of B2C examples that we saw, especially during um, the early days of COVID. So think of the distilleries that started making hand sanitizer or the large clothing retailers that started making face masks. 
On the B2B side, we've seen a lot of technologies and even specific marketing and sales content aimed at helping people be more productive working from home. And I think what we're seeing now, now that people have been stuck at home, one of the trends is, you know, now how do you get people to unplug since we're all connected, what seems like 24 hours a day. So you're starting to see more research and reports and tools that help you block certain things. I mean, there are apps where you can close down and put limits on social media, as well as just mental health in general, you know, making sure that you're taking breaks and going for a walk and and getting unplugged so that you can avoid the burnout, which is happening to so many people right now. Thank you, Stacey. Turning back to you, Simon, the final key competency that organizations need to be developing in their employees is evaluator. Could you tell us a little bit more about what this means and why it's so important to organizations? Well, first of all, before I get into what we uh, believe is the competency for this, let me just talk about the difference between the skill to be able to do this and the competency. So, first of all, you need to have people who can measure. Uh, Stacey mentioned some particular digital type uh, measurements like click-through rates or or likes, um, which can actually move you down a line of chasing vanity metrics. So, you have to have people who have the skill to be able to do the measurement and, if you like, connect the dots to the end about how is it affecting revenue overall or or, uh, sales growth. But over and above that, you have to be able to have people who can evaluate new opportunities to decide which to take forward or not, whether to stop initiatives, whether to change initiatives or just keep going with something that you're moving forward with. And if you don't do that well, you either burn a lot of cash and calories focusing on the wrong things, or you can miss out on big opportunities. And so in the book, the overall competency, we think is much more in keeping with what is actually uh, not just a new medic thing, but a a human and, and very political thing, because most of our senior leaders who we spoke to around the world in sales and marketing were sort of bringing uh, the idea to the table, which we've all experienced. Look, it's okay saying that you have to measure and you have to evaluate, but people don't like having their ideas thrown under the bus in front of other people, and people don't like to see their pet projects killed, even if the numbers suggest that, that they do, yeah? And So in order to be a good evaluator, yeah, you have to be able to, in the end, say, this has worked, we should keep doing it. I've looked at the business case for this, and it is going to be worth us doing as as an organization because it brings value to us and the customer. Then there are some key things that you have to be as a human being. And the first one is that you have to be somebody the organization believes has integrity, that you are prepared to sort of measure things and be objective and you can go to the evaluator as a person who you could trust will not sort of forward somebody's own political agenda they'll measure correctly and accurately whether the thing's been successful or not in the face of some political pressure and they have to be able to be this balanced advocate which we talked about before under one of the other competencies you have to be able to know how it's affected customer value, not whether the thing got turned up on time and whether the service was all right, but if you promised the customer that the thing you sold them would help them be more productive, could you actually measure that? And has it actually moved the needle in your own organization? And so therefore, this person has to have a lot of political nows and and persuasion skills because 
there's one thing measuring the thing, as I said, and then the other thing is turning around and saying to a senior executive, I don't think it's a good idea to uh, carry on with your pet project because the numbers don't stack up. Yeah. So if you're a marketing leader, I think you have to understand there's evaluation and that the need to be able to do the evaluation numerically and objectively, but that you're taking the, the outcome of those decisions into a political environment. And so you need people who can handle that. Yeah. Thank you. And what can marketing leaders do to help their teams effectively balance what's good for the customer with return on investment for the business? Well, I think, I think this is a key thing. You've probably heard me mention this balanced advocacy more than a couple of times now. And a couple of our senior leaders, uh, one in particular I won't reveal because um, the, the research that we did was uh, anonymous and that's how it should be, that got really catatonic with kind of uh, anger about how uh, they believe that marketeers don't often understand in the round what's actually good for the business, you know, how the business actually makes money. And so they'll talk about marketing campaigns in isolation without really joining the dots. So I think the marketing leader has to make sure that they know and their team know uh, how the business makes money and what the mechanics of that are and how the thing that you're proposing is going to influence that, yeah? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. To change direction slightly, Simon, I want to ask you how marketing leaders can role model the five competencies that we've discussed in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably important to say before they start role modeling, if they're leaders, they've got to create their environment. There is a chapter at the end of the book which talks about the fact that all of these competencies are built and developed in the framework of, of, if you like, the overall culture that's out there in the organization. And now many people said, oh, one of the things that's constraining me doing visionary or being a better learner is having time. So if you're a marketing leader, you've got to set the agenda, set the environment to allow people time. And as I said earlier, to clearly encourage prioritization and focus and not sort of volume and factory output mentality. So once you've created that environment, I think if you're a leader, you need to always look at yourself first and think, well, where am I in these competencies and which competencies in the context of my own organization and customers is it important for me to have as an individual and, and where is it okay to hire it in? And then to put these competencies on the agenda with your team and to, as Stacey said earlier, understand how the competencies are spread around the team and to hire and develop to fill those gaps. So for a leader, I think, reflecting on yourself, do I take other, other perspectives? Do I actually do that as a leader? Do I bring new perspectives into the discussion? For example, or in this other industry, or this other competitor is doing this, or this other organization has taken a completely different stance in the marketplace, or whatever, or an external observer is saying that we're not doing very well in this particular area, despite what we may think ourselves. From an activation standpoint, I think, as I said earlier, You've got to discuss and develop people around their ability to, to mobilise ideas in the organisation and to take part in that mobilisation when it, when it helps. And on the learner side, do you bring things to the team that helps with them with the learning and create that environment? And the you is all about something we've talked about a couple of times, 
do you encourage and reward targeted quality versus quantity? I mean, I can't let this bit finish without sort of reminding myself that I worked in one organization where the marketing organization wasn't very well perceived by the salespeople. And at a joint sort of conference thing, uh, the marketing leader says, oh, we need to bring in every sort of piece of brochureware that we've, we've done for sales and customers. There's this enormous table. It must have been 10 foot by 20 foot. It was absolutely creaking with all the sort of brochureware that had been produced. And yet the marketing team in question was really poorly perceived because it was just responding to volume, volume, volume. So all of which weren't useful to the salespeople really and weren't really useful to the customer. So encouraging and rewarding targeted quality versus quantity for the sake of it is is the important role role modeling of uh, usefulness. And then the uh, E, you know, try to demonstrate objectivity and, and balanced advocacy in front of the team, help them understand what that is. And to be honest enough to kill your own pet projects. You know, if, if you've got an idea or you, you wanted something moved forward and you can see that that's not working, be brave enough in front of your own team and, and the rest of the leadership in the organisation to demonstrate that you're killing that because it's not worked. Thanks, Simon. I think that's um, there's a lot in there for our, our listeners to think about and to digest. Stacey, you've touched on this briefly, but do you think that the need for these competencies in marketing teams has increased since the COVID-19 pandemic began? And will this importance continue to increase in the new era of work? Yes, well, absolutely. I think, you know, everything that we've talked about here really has been amplified because of COVID. You know, we talked about everything just changed so suddenly and we've seen a need for, for everything um, that we talked about. So continuing to have your eye on the horizon or what we say was a visionary, activating new ideas and programs and the ability to get buy into those, constantly learning about the customer and the changing landscape, and then creating useful products, content, programs, and evaluating what's working, You know, especially considering all this online shift versus in-person tactics. You know, I think, what to do about that is is really evaluating job descriptions. So we often joke about some of the, the marketing job descriptions that we see, which are looking for unicorns. There's pages of responsibilities that this person is responsible for. And we think this framework of the five competencies that we outlined will, will not go out of style. It's really what marketing leaders should be looking for, as none of us can predict what new technologies or businesses or even approaches that are going to emerge from th this, the events over the past 12 months. And if you bring employees in with these specific competencies, it shouldn't really matter about their industry experience, which we see as sort of a, a constant requirement on job descriptions, um, but in fact can be a benefit and an asset because they can bring a new perspective to, to what your um, team is missing because they came from a different industry. You know, all in all, yes, I think these are going to continue to be extremely important because we've heard an alarming stat recently that said 83% of marketers are burnt out right now. And that went up 10% after the pandemic. You know, so it's really important not to just keep piling on more volume of activity, as Simon mentioned, but about developing smarter strategies with your marketing approach and clearing out the things that aren't working even if everyone else in your industry is jumping on the band bandwagon. So we see a lot of companies that are constantly chasing the shiny object, you know, Clubhouse being the new social media platform to be the latest that everybody feels like they need to go rush into. 
So it's just being really mindful and, and careful that it, you don't get sort of caught up in that cycle. Thank you very much, Stacey. Now, I'd like to end this podcast with a question that we ask all of our guests. Stacey, what do you think are the three qualities that make a good leader? And crucially, do you think these qualities have changed as a result of the pandemic? Yes. So not to use one of our terms, I'm not going to use all of our competencies that we laid out here, but but one of the first qualities I think that makes a really strong leader is, is somebody that has vision. Somebody that can set a strategy and direction and, and provide clarity for where they want the business to go, because it's about getting getting people to buy into that vision and getting getting your team to to see the, the broader picture. The second, I would say, is somebody with courage. It's having the, the quality to be bold, to be creative um, and the willingness to try new things. And then lastly, you know, just my overall ongoing quality that I think is really important just in humans in general is communication and the ability to to keep everybody informed, to maintain that alignment and to, to be constantly sort of aware, as I mentioned, you know, if this stat eight out of 10 marketers are burnt out right now. You know, what conversations are you having with your team to to help make sure that that isn't everybody on your team? Um, so my my personal philosophy is I think these are these have always been important qualities. I don't think the pandemic has necessarily changed these. I think it's just, as I mentioned, amplified the need for, for people to develop these even stronger. And finally, the same question to you, Simon. What do you think are the three qualities that make a good leader? And do you think these qualities have changed since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. And and as ever, because you've asked, asked me second, Stacey's nicked all the good ones, yeah? <laughs> so, but building on what she said, I mean, I have vision on my list of three, but and, that, and that's really important. Uh, but I think that preceding the vision as a marketing leader, you have to demonstrate that you have the ability to bring an outside in focus to always be concerned about the customer's world and how the things that are happening uh, around the customer's world and in, around your own environment could change things. And then that, that use that to help develop the vision and then to lead the change coming out of that vision uh, so that they're too leading the change uh, from the vision and developing it from an, an outside-in perspective. And then I think you've got to be able to, and then finally, because you can tell I like uh, uh, sporting analogies, bringing stuff from outside-in or elsewhere, we've talked about a lot, is really crucial. So cricket in the UK, uh, in, in England, the fielding got a lot, lot better because people who, who coach cricket teams realise that pe uh, people who play baseball field a, uh, a lot more uh, athletically than in cricket. So it took a lot of learning from uh, from baseball. Uh, and I've just read that today the, the coach of Leicester City uh, football team sort of extended a, an invite to the new coach of Leicester Tigers rugby team so that they can share ideas on leadership. And and I think, you know, that that's both of those examples, the baseball and cricket meets cricket and the football meets rugby in this country is a, a really good examples of what leaders should do, bringing thinking in from elsewhere. Thank you very much. And um, thank you both for joining us today and talking us through these competencies. It's It's been a pleasure and as ever, very insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at haze.com.